12,000 fans here at Bramlage Coliseum spilling out onto the court. A huge celebration as Kansas State, for the first time since 1983, has knocked off the Kansas Jayhawks in Manhattan. Bring on the podcast. Here's your host, A. Hernali. Hello and welcome to another episode of Bring on the Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Luke Thompson. Eric Rubottom is here with us to talk some basketball. Eric, how are you? Doing good. Back to two and two in conference play, so things are things are illogically looking up. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. And we're here today to talk with the associate director of communications for TCU, Stephen Schoen. Stephen, how are you? Hey guys, good. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, and while things are looking up for for Kansas State, it was a bit of a rough week for TCU. You know, it's played two very tough road games and played them pretty close at OU and, and Texas. Really, no shame in losing that. But then. Kind of the capper to the week is more bad news for Jalen Fisher. It sounds like he's going to be out for a while, maybe the, the rest of the season. I mean, why can't that guy catch a break? Yeah, yeah uh, that's a good question. I don't know. He, he's kind of been hurt ever since he's been here. His, his freshman year was great, a whole regular season, and then uh, injured or broke his left wrist in the first game of the NIT. So he didn't get to go to, well, he went to New York, but was watching it from the bench and same thing when we won the title. And then, yeah, then a left meniscus tear and then a right meniscus tear. So he's been pretty much injured for the past 12 months. Uh, he played yeah. for us November and December. But, yeah, it's – I don't know why. And everyone's been asking me that. And I, I think it's just – sometimes it's just the way someone's body is. I, I don't know why, but – and it's, it's been weird accidents uh, or uh, incidents. Just this one with their latest, the right meniscus tear, which happened uh, pretty much a year ago, happened in a practice. And it was no contact. And he was just, I think it was a five-on-o drill. And sometimes that stuff just happens. So yeah. um, that's a big loss, too, especially right. for, for us since we've been missing some guys already. We had three enter the transfer portal. <laughs> the past couple weeks, yeah. three guys. So, but no one like uh, no one with Fisher's skills. So definitely missed him. But yeah. uh, like you said, two straight losses. But as Coach always points out, against the two top RPI teams in the country and the two top strength of schedules in the country for which uh, Oklahoma and Kansas has played. So two really good teams and and two road games. But yeah, that the OU game really hurt. Had the lead for most of the game, and then um, at Kansas was very winnable too, and had season high twenty turnovers, which mm. really hurt at KU. So yeah. now back at home. So yeah, and I get one thing that may be a silver lining with Jonathan Fisher is I think I read he could potentially apply for a medical redshirt if he can get healthy. Is that a possibility? 
Yeah, he would. Uh, he's only played 10 games. What's the minimum? Is I it think it's 30 12? or 25? I think it's 25, oh, isn't 25 it? 25 now? Oh. 25%? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, yes, he could do that. I'm sure they'll try to do that. I know there's other things that go into it than just the games played, but you would look at medical history, and yeah, he'd be he'd be up for a red shirt. So, mm-hmm. I don't know. Coach had a presser today and didn't really say he's being shut down for the whole year, but right. said he's out for the quote foreseeable future, and that pretty much kind of tells you all you need to know. So, I. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, when he comes back, he'll come back. But I think this kind of saves me and Coach Dixon from answering questions about is Jalen Fisher playing today for a while. So right, right. Yeah, I mean, there, there was a time, Eric, where I think there were some rumors floating around that, that Dean might miss the rest of the year. So you know, sometimes those things do get resolved a little bit. But uh, Dean, how much, how close to 100 percent do you think he was on Saturday's first game back? Uh, I think that he was probably, at, 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 from a game speed perspective, he was probably at about 60%. I don't think he was quite ready to go. I think uh, I think it was more of a, is he physically capable of playing without causing any more injury? And once that, once they got comfortable with that, they decided to go ahead and run him for a few minutes, just A, to keep his conditioning up, and B, tried not to let him get too rusty or that sort of thing. Um, reports are that his, uh, his foot was pretty sore that, that day after sore enough that they're going to hold him out of practice yeah so uh sounds to me like he's the gamer for a little bit until that foot really comes around you know you're treading some thin ice if uh with a situation like that because you could be possibly staring at a situation where it never really gets right because you're you're right. you keep aggravating it day in and day out right at the same time though it's tough for k-state because with the other options they have inside a like probably a 50 percent dean wade is, is your best bet in there. <laughs> that's that's a fa- that's a fair statement right now. Um, you know, as uh, one of the things I was going to just throw out there, the Jello softball is, is: have we seen a player at K State that is so good when he's on and terrible when he's off as, as <laughs> McColl Mayween? Yeah, I mean, he is a black hole when he's not having a good game. But if he has a good game, he's a double double. So who knows? But yeah, uh, yeah it's a, I think long run, just from a stability standpoint, not necessarily having a, a Dean at 100%, but at least having Dean as a credible player on the floor will bring some benefit. Yeah. Well, and I mean, Mouin, I think as bad as he's been in some games, I think he redefined what a bad game was against West Virginia when he played six minutes and got five fouls. Was... Yeah, on the, the on-pace guy said that he was on pace for 20 fouls that game. So, <laughs> so, um, I'm glad they cut him off at five. Yeah. But, so Stephen, to come back to TCU, um, you know, Fisher's absence, does that really mean like more time for freshman RJ Nemhard and Kendrick Davis? Are those the two guys that kind of step into that role? I think so. Coach was saying today, uh, Nimhard has the flu. I don't know if he'll play tomorrow. And if he doesn't <laughs> play tomorrow, I don't really uh, know what um, who's going to start. Kendrick Davis has been great. True freshman, mm-hmm. four-star recruit out of Houston. He's been really, really good. But Lat Mayan is a as a redshirt freshman who's been hurt most of the year, but is now 100% healthy. So I'd expect more minutes out of him, and he really hasn't played a whole lot. But he's not really a, a guard. But, um, yeah, I would expect more out of Latman, and hopefully we stay out of foul trouble. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, how about the injuries in the Big 12? Is Tristan Clark from Baylor's out, yeah. and yeah. Ortazabuki's out for the season. 
at KU, yeah. and then yeah, and then Dean Wade missed a lot. Yeah. And Kanate, yeah, Kanate's yeah. out. So it's been really interesting all these injuries and yeah, well, and, who and, lost a lot from last year. And also until we until we saw Jalen Fisher go down, it was all big guys. Like the the guards were were missing out on it. It was all big yeah. guys going well, down. Well, unless you count Cam Stokes, throw him in there. He was, but he only missed and, what uh, one game, I guess. Yeah, and then Wigginton from Iowa State missed a lot that's of non-conference. True. Yeah, that's why they true. lost a couple. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems like I mean maybe the only team that hasn't been hit by the injury bug is, is Texas Tech, and they're sitting atop the conference. Probably not a coincidence. Yeah, yeah how good have they been? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Them and Texas. I don't think Texas has had many, yeah. many big injuries, but yeah. Oh, and just to, to clarify for listeners, hopefully this will get posted on Tuesday. But we're recording this on Monday, so Stephen's talking about the Tuesday game when he says oh, tomorrow. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, but, but of course, you know, the, the guard and, and Fisher, I assume, was playing the off guard when Alex Robinson is on the floor, even when he was in there. Yeah, well, yes, Fisher was playing the two. We, we basically, we were starting two point guards, and I think it took a while for them to get get their roles down because it's two guys that want to handle the ball. But um, if you look at our stats, you'll see that Fisher kind of assumed the role of the shooting guard because he was on fire from three and mm-hmm. had five straight games where he made at least four threes in a game at one point. So he was, he was a catch and shoot guy. And when he's on, he's, he's, he's really hitting it. So that hurts because it, it, we shot the ball so well last year, this year, not so much. And now with Fisher down, we just need more guys to step up. And Kawat Noy did that for us on Saturday against Oklahoma, made uh, eight threes. Uh, against the Sooners, and that kept us alive in the game. So probably need some more of that, some more of that, and then some from uh, Desmond Bain, who last year led the Big 12 in three-point percentage, and he hasn't been quite to that level this year. But he's super talented, and, and hopefully will be a guy that will catch fire in the rest of the conference. Yeah. Well, and, and of course last year, I mean, the guy we talked about was Kenrich Williams, was kind of the do-everything yeah. hustle guy. You know, has anybody stepped into that role for TCU? Yeah, that's been the big question. That was, that was the question entering the season, too, uh, of who was going to fill that void. With First of all, with Brodzianski, with your 15 points a game, pretty mm-hmm. much guaranteed every night, mm-hmm. and presence inside. And then with Kenrich Williams, who's on the Pelicans roster, who was basically averaging a double-double, just under a double-double in the rebounds, but a guy who's going to lead you on the boards every night. J.D. Miller? Our senior, he is one that's kind of been called upon to assume that defensive responsibility, and at least um, on the boards. Mm-hmm. And um, he's been way better than, than he had been in his career on, in that aspect. So he's been pretty good, not quite to Kenrich level and not as consistent. But then mm-hmm. also someone that's consistently scoring like Vlad. We haven't really found that mm-hmm. yet either, mm-hmm. except Kwat Noy off the bench leading our team in scoring mm-hmm. is pretty rare. He's been pretty good. Yeah, well, and it does seem like as a team, statistically anyway, the defense has been better. You know, what's kind of been the key to that improvement? Yeah, that's been the emphasis since last year when Coach Dixon, who's big on stats and big on rankings, kept reminding <laughs> the team in summer workouts where they ranked defensively with the stats. And, yeah, it was terrible. And And this is a... Uh, with Dixon, who whose pit teams were known for good defense, right. low scoring games, it kind of switched 
in both the first two years at TCU, where you have a, a high-scoring offense, great shooting percentage, but also giving up a lot, which he couldn't stand. So it was, it was just a mindset from the beginning with every practice reminding them mm-hmm. how bad it was and, <laughs> and then also uh, showing them stats on the good teams last year and how they were uh, on defense, how they, where their numbers were. So it's been much improved, even though in conference we've been giving up some more points uh, lately, but it's still way improved from last year when you look at field goal percentage and three-point percentage defense and then points against. So, yeah, it's, it's been a lot better. I don't know what the main difference is. We, mm-hmm. we lost two really good players, but I think just – the, the mindset going into it. And, and Alex Robinson's been way better defending the ball. Quatnoy's been way better. And those are two guys that, that weren't as good last year on defense. Yeah. Well, and so, I mean, we know there are games sometimes where, where K-State's shooting poorly from the outside and we've seen teams go to a zone. Is that something TCU would ever do? <laughs> that's, that's funny you say that. Because uh, <laughs> Coach Dixon was, was saying the other day that um, – they're going to go practice some more zone defense, mm-hmm. but he's been known and throughout his career been known as a as a man to man defensive coach, and they'll primarily play man to man defense, but mentioned that they need to practice some zone because I think we'll go to that. But uh, it's really interesting, coaches with with what they choose to do, and it's amazing that not more people play zone. Everyone wants to mm-hmm. wants to man up and and do it that route, but yeah. Um, how much of anything is just the pride thing? Honestly, like with some of these I guys. think that's exactly what it is. <laughs> yeah. I think it's a, I think it's an ego thing and, and a pride thing for sure. Mm-hmm. I think it's. I don't know. I've never coached basketball, but I could imagine if you, if you, if you're a coach and you say we're going to play zone, I, I'm sure other coaches would judge that coach. But Beheim's been doing it for what 40 years, probably. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, and it's worked just fine for him. But yeah, it's definitely a pride thing. I'm sure players want to go man to man. Right, right. And I was going to say, Eric, I mean, certainly the three and three of us, you've played the most competitive basketball. How much pride factor into that and Van versus Zone? I think pride factors into it quite a bit because for for most teams, uh, you know, Syracuse definitely accepted. There's a couple uh, as the, the notable one. There's a couple others out there. But for most teams, when you go to a zone, you're basically you're you're admitting that you can't man up and guard your and, and guard your guy that you have to that you have to do it collectively as a team, and you're willing to give up open shots because of it. Is it because they're just they're just kicking your ass at the end of the day? Um, so it's absolutely a pride thing. Yeah, well, we got to talk about Scott Drew and Baylor too, right? If we're talking guys who play zone. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's there's some legitimate uh, times to go zone. Frankly, I think that playing zone against K-State would be a very good tactical move, even though it would be, you know, I think you could make an argument in that case that it makes sense to do it as opposed to being a pride thing because, yeah. uh, you know, taking away what a team's good at and giving them what they're not good at. But yeah, by and large, it's I know. I know. When I played, and someone said, "Hey, we need to go to a zone," I, I was upset. That means I wasn't. <laughs> that, that means we weren't playing well enough on the defensive end. Yeah. And so, I mean, we know K State will play man to man, and Barry Brown leading the way. It's going to be an interesting matchup for him. I think you want to get Alex Robinson. Obviously, Alex can score. He averages thirteen a game, but really, where he excels is finding his teammates. Eight point one assists per game, and just to put that in context, I think second place in the Big Twelve is about four point four right now. So, I mean, does that change the way that the K-State plays their help defense, Eric? Like, you just tell Barry, hey, you got to you gotta stay on this guy, it's on you? 
Well, I think one of the questions that we might ask is, is, is Barry actually going to be the one guarding Alex? Um, yeah. Or is, is Barry going to play off the, ball, off the ball in that case, uh, having like a Cam Stokes play on Alex and let Barry kind of roam, uh, roam free and, and try to keep his assist numbers down as opposed to uh, yeah. uh, trying to bottle him up head on. That's right. Barry is so good at anticipation, obviously, being like KSA's all-time steals leader already. So we could see that. I don't know, Steven. I mean, what makes Alex Robinson so good at, at finding players in positions to score? That's a, <laughs> that's a good question. He, just, he does it in so many different ways. He's... Well, like any guard looking to pass first and score second, he just can thread the needle. I mean, it's, it's like Mahomes back there throwing the ball any which way, and that, that's what he'll do. He'll do some behind the back. He'll do the bounce pass. <laughs> he'll try to thread it in. Yeah, that sidearm nice on Saturday was pretty nice. Yeah. <laughs> and they, they had that one view from, like, behind him where, where you kind of get a glimpse of what Mahomes is looking at. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you're like, how does he do that? Yeah. Yeah, but with with Alex, he's about 40 assists away from being our all-time assist leader, um, and that's with three years playing at TCU, a, a transfer from Texas A&M uh, after his freshman season. Mm-hmm. So uh, he's really close to a thousand points here, and he's gonna become the all-time assist leader. So it's it's really amazing how how productive he's been just in three years. You know, one of the things I've noticed about Alex, and I'll just throw this, throw this out there, I, I'll preface this by saying I'm not by any means trying to ultimately or without context compare these players, but Alex reminds me a lot of a Steve Nash or a John Stockton in the way that they're not necessarily score-first guards by any means. They're definitely looking to, to facilitate and distribute, but, the, but they all have an uncanny knack for being able to get in the paint and kind of navigate the big trees without getting into trouble and then finding the good pass in there. So that's yeah. just thing I've noticed about uh, about Robinson. No, that's exactly right. His move, he'll go into the paint and then kind of do a quick pivot and then dish it out somehow. So, yeah, like what you said, he spends a lot of time in the paint, actually, and usually it's it, it pays off and he, and he finds someone and, and gets an assist. Yeah, 8.1, uh, second in the country. He's pretty much mm-hmm. been second in the in the nation all year long. At about eight. Yeah, who's first? A guy from Murray State. Oh yeah, yeah, that kid. Uh, yeah, like nine point nine assists is what he was the other day. Is it Lamont? Is that the something? same dude that dunked over that guy? <laughs> End of that kid's career. <laughs> I mean, <geez>. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, like, yeah. I think I saw that. Yeah, I don't I know. Like, Murray State keeps finding these point guards. It's crazy. I mean. For such a small school, all the, the good point guards they've had, Isaiah Cannon, Campaign, now it's, it's, it's pretty amazing. So Oh, and, oh, and Alex is a, a second in active career assists okay. with, with over 600. And first, first is John Elmore from Marshall. How about okay. that? Okay. This is this is how you know Stephen's good at his job, dropping all the stats out here. So and I'm sure it helps him, too, to have you know such a balanced team. Again, TCU, I think, has at least four guys in double figures and pretty versatile, other than Kevin Samuel. About all of them can shoot three, right? Yeah, no, that, that's right. Uh, really balanced, as a, a typical Jamie Dixon team is, where anyone can score or go off on any night. We're fourth in the nation in assists, uh, just around 20 per game. So very unselfish team, and so I mean, a three-point threat uh, besides Kevin Samuel, yeah, yeah, 
Yeah, how do you think they'll, they'll match up against if K-State goes to the four-guard lineup? Is that something TCU can handle? Have they seen that much? I think that would help us out a lot, especially with our <laughs> lack of uh, front court depth. We pretty much have Kevin Samuel as our five, and then J.D. Miller as a four, and then Quatnoy will come off the bench and replace Miller as the four. And when he's in, and if Kevin Samuel's in foul trouble, we'll go to a, a pretty much a four-guard lineup with Kevin Samuel as the five, and then Quatnoy as the four, and then Nimhard and Robinson and Bain, so... That would help TCU out a lot, probably. Yeah, it's against bigger teams, and if Kevin Samuel gets into foul trouble, that would probably mm. hurt TCU's chances. But I think a four guard lineup, and that's something that Dixon talked about, kind of maybe going with when Fisher was out a couple games ago. Uh, he mentioned about possibly looking at a four guard lineup, and I know uh, Bill Self did too when Azabuki went out. Talked about getting a four guard lineup, so. Yeah. That's probably the way things are going to go, too, especially how everyone can shoot the three now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it kind of seems that way. So is foul trouble a frequent problem for Kevin Samuel? I notice he only plays about 20 minutes a game. Oh, not really. Not, I mean, I don't know if it's a problem, but being a redshirt freshman, you're not as experienced, especially in the Big 12. So yeah. uh, I guess it's something that where he could get exposed down low. Yeah, I wouldn't say it's a problem because okay. sometimes he'll just come out just to rest because he's a big guy. But uh mm-hmm. How much of a, of a rim protector is he? I saw he's averaging one and a half bucks a game, which is not bad. Yeah, right now his total is the third most ever by a, a TCU freshman. He had six blocks in a game earlier this season, and when he did that, everyone was kind of surprised just because they didn't expect that from him. And yeah, they were asking him if that's normal, and, and he's like, I did this in high school. So that's something that really people didn't expect, but he's been really good down low especially on defense especially with the blocks so i think it surprised a lot of a lot of people i mean a lot of coaches don't look at blocks as good defense but um (laughs) it's definitely impressive yeah so i guess just real quick i mean going back to the non-conference you know other than the loss to lipscomb the team feel pretty good about um you know the way they played against that schedule which was it seemed like that they weren't any elite teams necessarily but it was a lot of of good you know maybe slightly above average teams no, yeah, you're right. You look at our schedule, and yeah, it's not going to impress anyone with the names. Our best NET, you know, because everything's NET now instead of RPI. The best yeah. NET win in non-conference was Fresno State. It was somewhere, I think, in the 40s or 50s. Because okay. SMU isn't as good as they had been. Right. USC isn't yeah. as good Although as they that were was a couple a of years ago. Eye-popping win, though, uh, to win by 35 over USC. Yeah. That had yeah. to be one of the better games for JCU. Yeah. yeah, that was fun. That's that's <laughs> that's fun for us SIDs too, who can yeah. just tweet away and not have to worry <laughs> about uh, anything happening. And yeah, that was good. That was a fun game. But um, yes, non-conference schedule. Uh, Lipscomb they beat us bad. They didn't get lucky and make a lot of threes. They kind of beat us in every way possible. But they. Um, God, they're so experienced. They they return mm-hmm. the most uh, the most career points out of any school. Second is K State, by the way, <laughs> uh, for career points returned. But uh, yeah, the non conference though, if you look at the rank, of course you have to. It is around like thirty for strength of schedule. I think in non conference even. Mm-hmm. So it, it's always there at the end. These schools that uh, Coach Dixon teams usually schedule some who are from smaller conferences and will probably win their conference and be in the tournament. 
Yeah. Um, we did that last year with a few teams with Belmont, Bonaventure. Right. Uh, can't remember the rest, but a lot of teams like that. SME was decent. Yeah. And Eric, actually, last on that year, note, so. I think uh, K State did a lot better job of, of doing that this year rather than playing some of those teams, you know, around the 300s. They were playing teams closer to, like, in the top 200s at least. You know, Georgia State's a team that's got a chance to win their conference. George Mason was in there too. Yeah, so. yeah in general, K-State did play a little bit better non-conference that we, than we have seen in the past. And as such, I think you saw the, the results of that. You know, we had not that K-State's necessarily a team over the last couple of years that blows people out, but we had a lot fewer opportunities of big, comfortable wins or anything like that. You know, we had most of our games where our, our starters were still playing late in the second half. You know, going and playing on the road at Marquette was certainly a uh, was certainly a big ask. It didn't turn out the way we would have liked, uh, but uh, then going and uh, being able to play Mizzou down in the uh, down in the Virgin Islands certainly helped. And remember, we still have this upcoming game against Texas A and M as well that uh, that will help our non conference. One of the things I was looking at here is on uh, is uh, the ratings as far as non conference strength of schedule. The way Ken Palm does their ratings, actually, K State and, and TCU basically played the same strength of schedule according to Ken Palm. <laughs> K State's is ranked their non conference strength of schedule is two hundred one. Uh, and TCU's is actually 198. So, I mean, it's literally just about the same strength of schedule non-conference according to uh, the way he does his ratings. Yeah. Nice. And if I remember looking at that, I feel like they were both about kind of the middle of the pack in the Big 12 where, like, KU and Texas played the toughest and then Texas Tech played a really miserable strength of schedule despite playing Duke. But Yes. <laughs> you include include Duke and their non-conference strength of schedule. They are still ranked 340th out of 351 yeah. Division One teams for their non-conference strength of schedule. So they literally played high school teams. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how, how far off is Ken Palm from the NCAA? Because I get the NCAA rankings, and they always go, you know, the NET rankings. And uh, as TCU's strength of schedule, 19, non-conference, 32. <laughs> so how's that? I don't know how that even works. Uh, yeah, it's, you know, uh, Ken, Ken Palms is much more, I, I would say, much more analytic, uh, analytical yeah, based really yeah. off their adjusted offense and uh, just defensive efficiencies. Yeah. So it's, you know, it, it's purely a numbers game for his, whereas the, uh, the NET definitely takes it, takes into consideration other things, so. K-State's, by the way, strength of schedule, 27, non-conference strength of schedule, 68. We both like this one better. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. Definitely. You know, while I'm surfing around here on Ken Palm, though, uh, you know, one of the things that keeps coming up on a lot of our conversations, especially around uh, surrounding K-State and the fact that we can still – manage to stay in games because of it is a, is defense mm-hmm. and i'm just going through here i've got it ranked by a, uh, adjusted defensive efficiency and there are eight big 12 teams in the top 40 wow uh four in the top 10 actually yeah. uh, texas tech is is first believe mm-hmm. it or not yeah k-state is fifth oklahoma is eighth and kansas is ninth drop down to uh let's see here that would be 31 and 32 is baylor and tcu mm. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And TCU was floating somewhere around 100 last year, I think, just as a comparison. Yeah, you, defensive efficiency last year was exactly 100. You're right. Yeah. 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 So the so I mean the the defense this year in the Big 12 is just stupid. Yeah. <laughs> so if you can score points in a Big 12 game, more power to you. Mm-hmm. And TCU, I think, is averaging the second highest. So I don't know. I mean, in Big 12 play, I'm not sure. 
what it is, but they've still been, been scoring a fair amount so far, I think. Yeah, 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 they have. Yeah, it took a, a little dip on the road, of course, which mm-hmm. it always will, but... Sure. Yeah. yeah, I wonder how much of the, the the better defense in the Big 12 has to do with the, the talent that exited the Big 12 last year. When you look at all the, the two pros that Texas Tech lost and, and KU with Mason and West Virginia with Carter. A lot of good guys leaving. But Texas Tech somehow managed to Do you think that's because do you think it's amazing. those teams had to, uh, to uh, kind of redirect and figure out, hey, we can we can coach up defense and, and give ourselves a chance, or do you think that's uh, more of just uh, simple, we're uh, not scoring as well aspect? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know. It, it, yeah, well, it could be the fact that these guys who went to the league are really good scorers, and they're, they're not here anymore, which makes defensive numbers go up or down, I guess, depending on how you look at it. But, yeah, I, I don't know. That's, that's a good question. But Like you said, Luke, with Texas Tech, it's amazing, really. Lose uh, Evans and Smith to the NBA, and what they're projected. Where were they projected in the conference? It was, yeah, it was below TCU. Yeah. And, I mean, you got Jared Culver's a lottery pick all of a sudden. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Coach Coach Pierre knows what he's doing. Yeah, yeah, it's impressive. So I mean, going off of that though, and then with with KU Doke out, um, although, and I guess this could maybe depend on. Uh, apparently, there's talk of trying to get Silvio D'Souza reinstated, but you know, is this the year the streak finally ends? <laughs> oh man, uh, how it ends. We say that every, exactly. It's like, it's like the Patriots. Is, is this yeah. the year that they don't make it? You know, no, they're yeah. always going to make it as long as they make it. I mean, it's, yeah, until it doesn't happen, it's going to happen. Yeah. I don't know. You can't count them out. You can't. Yeah. Coach Self, of course, knows what he's doing and mm-hmm. can. He's made Big 12 championship teams out of teams you don't think of them as champions. I did not think KU was going to win last year with the way the non conference was. And as a KU grad, I watched. KU games every night, and yeah, it's uh, that was amazing last year. So, no, they're still the favorite, mm-hmm. no doubt. And there's there's good teams, just like there were last year in the Big Twelve, and very capable of winning the Big Twelve. But I would pick KU to win 15 yeah. straight, yeah. which is crazy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, even with even with Azubuke out, you've got to look at it from the perspective of KU has a bench full of players, McDonald's yeah. All Americans. Yeah. Or whatever you want to, you know, whatever their accolades are, that most other teams, even in the Big Twelve, get one every couple of years at yeah. best. So, mm-hmm. and it's kind of interesting. I was looking at KU's schedule, and they don't get Texas Tech or Kansas State until February. So they play them both twice, and, and I don't know. That's probably it's, an advantage for KU, Wade, right? huh? That'll be a healthy Dean Wade K State team. Yeah, hopefully. So, yeah. We'll see, but that'll probably give KU the chance to, you know, do what they do in February and just find a way to to get back to the top if they need to. Yeah, if there was, if there was a K State team to take down KU and and win the Big Twelve, this would have been it, right? Yeah, we thought so, and then things went wrong. Somewhere. I'll tell you what. At the end of the day, this K State team can do it if they can put points on the board. But yeah. if we have a game that we we can't put points on the board, it's just not going to happen. I don't care how good a defense we play. <laughs> Yeah, it's funny with K State. I I used 
this a lot in the non-conference when people kept like you know k-state was picked second in the big 12 and people at tcu were coming to me is like oh you k-state was second because you know usually it's west virginia is second and and they were just really surprised and i said yeah they returned every player from elite 18 last year it's like mm-hmm. oh yeah i guess you're right and then uh <laughs> what was the who'd you all lose to in non-conference uh, well, we lost to Marquette on the road, and then we went and lost to Tulsa on the road, too. Okay, yes, it was the Tulsa game, and someone made a comment, you know, what, did you say lost to Tulsa? And I, said, <laughs> and I said, yeah, of course they did. They they finished, they only finished fourth in the Big 12 last year. So, I don't know, you look at it both ways. It's a team uh-huh. that, that didn't finish that high in the, in, in the conference, but pulled a not very good, uh, well, pulled, pulled UMBC, and then not a very yeah. good... Uh, yeah. Kentucky team and, and made it to the lead eight and then but then you look at it the other way and man they only finished mm-hmm. what fourth like I think it was right ahead of KU right or TCU TCU was fifth and I think K State was fourth last yeah, year yeah yeah I think you're right and the yeah. thing was it was so weird they they basically they went zero and six against the top three teams and then almost beat everyone else there were there were a couple more loss, a couple losses in there but that's right yes essentially yes, I forgot about that. they just did yeah, what they were supposed yeah. to. <laughs> so. yeah. Well, if, if anybody can go back and think about what it was like before we before we made that Elite Eight run, I mean, you go back with like five or six games left to go in the conference slate last year. We were sitting there wondering if we were gonna if we were going to make the tournament. Yeah. I mean, we were a legitimate bubble team. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, you know, we started ripping off a few games late in the season, which kind of solidified it once we, it's again, I, we didn't feel comfortable that we were in the tournament until, you know, in, until with a game or two left in the, in the non-conference schedule, or in the, in the conference schedule. I mean, I think one of so those that, was a, a win over TCU, right? It was, yeah. That, that was the game that, cut, that was the game that was like, all right, we're in. So mm-hmm. let's just see what we can do now. In the tournament, too. Is that the one you're talking about? Well, there's the one here. Yeah. Um, I think it was more the one in Fort Worth where it was really like, yeah. okay, yeah. this this looks yep. more like a tournament team. Yeah. Yep. And the one in the tournament, that was, uh, I think that was Barry Brown's first game winner, and now he's got like five of those. So. <laughs> well, it's becoming a weekly occurrence. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, it needs to be, or else we'd be over <laughs> at the conference right now. Yeah. But it was pretty crazy. I mean, Stephen, you've watched a lot of college basketball. Have you ever seen a game where a guy scores 18 of his team's last 21 points in the last 19 minutes, you know, like Dean Wade hit the only other field goal and we still won. <laughs> Wait, which one was that one? I was taking him? Yeah. 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 <laughs> That's crazy. Uh, man, I can't, I can't say I've ever been around that. That was crazy. I, I didn't, uh, I was, of course we had a game, uh, against Oklahoma, and, and someone told me that K-State won at Iowa State, and I, I couldn't believe it. Of course not. Of course I couldn't believe it. <laughs> yeah. Iowa State's really good. Yeah. Uh, and I didn't know that Dean Wade was back either, so once I heard that, that made sense. But then I saw his line. I'm like, well, he we didn't really do much. Maybe we did something that was didn't show up in the box score. He had nine rebounds. Just on the court, knowing what he's doing. Yeah. He did have a team-high nine, nine rebounds, so that helped. Did he? Okay. Yeah. Well, and and I think to a certain extent, one of the things that you know, going back to what we were talking about, Dean Wade earlier, and how effective can he be, or how positive of an impact does he have while he's on the court, even if he's injured, is yeah. that you saw even in the Iowa State game being essentially sixty percent and clearly not the player that Dean Wade can be um, when he's healthy. He's at least a credible threat on the floor, and it makes it makes the other team, you know, not just have to guard five positions, but really start to consider bringing extra players at him 
while he's when he's got the ball, even when he's injured. So just having him on the floor can can really help free up a Barry Brown or a Cam Stokes for some shots. Mm-hmm. Well, and you know the other weird thing about the Iowa State game, and I mentioned this on Twitter, is K State hit I think seventy eight percent of their free throws, eleven of fourteen. Iowa State missed six of twelve, and that included the front end of three one on ones. I mean. The odds for that happening going into the game were not high. <laughs> no. And it was a one-point game, so, yeah. Kind of crazy. But, yeah, so, Stephen, I guess, I mean, before we let you go, obviously, you know, TCU basketball seems to be still on the rise with Amy Dixon. Last year they got the big postseason breakthrough. I, mean, I guess the next logical step is is win an NCAA tournament game, right? Is that something that the coach talks about a lot? or? Um. Uh... I don't know if he t- talks about it as much as he just expects it, and the guys do. And that was a lot of talk entering the season. We were on all these lists of uh, who was it that did a list? I think I think Andy Katz did a list of of teams that are poised to win their first NCAA tournament game in a long time. Because was it Northwestern that did it for the first time ever? I think last year. And so, so we were on that list along with some other teams. Yeah, we have an NCAA tournament game since 1987. That's when Jamie Dixon was a senior here and so yes that's been mentioned outside the team i mean i think that like i said dixon and the team expects to do that but yeah tc basketball is still on the rise uh sold out of season tickets this year just i don't know there's a lot of excitement there's i think i mentioned this last year when before dixon got here there was really nothing in between that gap of football and baseball at tcu and now that there's a good basketball team on the court, people are, are finding someplace else to go in the months of uh, December, January, February, March. So, yes, yes, expectations are higher. Interest has never been higher. So it's yeah, it's been a lot of fun. And not just from fans, but it seems like players too. I mean, we talked about this year's freshmen have, have been contributors. And next year you yeah. got a kid, P.J. Fuller is a – you know, top 100 recruit playing at Findlay Prep in Nevada. So he's yes. obviously, you know, getting noticed. And PCU beat out a lot of big programs to get him to sign, right? Exactly, yeah. Uh, that's a big get. We signed three guys in the fall. Uh, Deontay Smith, another good I think K-State had an offer to Deontay Smith, actually. From Florida. That's right, yeah, yeah. Get yeah. from Florida. Um, he's supposed to be really good. And, uh, and then Francisco Farabello, uh, international kid. He's supposed to be really good. But, yeah, P.J. Fuller is the head of the class if you go by the rankings. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, he's supposed to be really, really good next year. So, uh, And then we'll sign probably two more guys since, like I said, we had three enter the mysterious transfer portal uh, <laughs> the past couple weeks. So uh, the recruiting never stops, and I'm sure we'll sign a couple more in the spring. But, yeah, there's been a lot of interest. And, obviously, these are kids that TCU's never gotten before. Right. Um, when Jalen Fisher signed here – Dixon's first year, it was the highest recruit TCU had ever had, and now we're getting top 100 guys fairly consistent, which people here are still amazed at. And every time it happens, they just people still can't believe that TCU is relevant in basketball. So, which is kind of it's still fun to see, and it's year three of, of Coach Dixon, but yeah, everyone's still kind of amazed. And and every time we beat any team in the Big 12, they just they. Like, man, I just can't believe we beat that team. Like, yeah, I mean, this is what it's going to be now. So but it, it's still new to people. Yeah. And it's also year three of Stephen Schoen at TCU, right? Ah, what a, yeah, what a coincidence. <laughs> yeah. That's, clear, that's clearly what it is. <laughs> yeah. 
Clearly a difference maker. I was sound like my saucy jokes about that all the time. Clearly, clearly me. I was kind of wondering, you know, um, of course, you went to KU, and I know you're a KU fan. How has your KU fandom changed as you've been involved with another Big 12 program? Oh, it's really weird. So everyone always asks me every time (laughs) KU plays TCU. For me, it's, and I'm not saying this just because it's public and everything, but I say it to everyone, I'm 100% for TCU when they play KU. There's no doubt about it. It's mm-hmm. 100% TCU. That's my team. That's right. that's what pays my bills. And that's those are the guys that I'm with every single day. And there's no doubt that I want TCU to beat KU every time they play them. But I'm also weird in the fact that I'm watching KU play anytime I can and mm-hmm. always rooting for KU to win. When I guarantee you every other person associated with TCU basketball and probably any other Big 12 team is always rooting for the big dogs to lose. Because that's what you do. Yeah. You want yeah. People who aren't Patriots fans are rooting for the Patriots to lose. <laughs> and so that's that's what's weird about me. And I told I told one of our managers just the other day who was at the KU-TCU game asking me what I'm rooting for. And that's exactly what I told him. I said, there's no doubt I'm all for TCU. But um, when KU plays... And so far, we haven't got to a point where you know KU losing helps TCU a lot in the standings. So right. if, if TCU doesn't win the Big 12, then I want KU to win the Big 12. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's my, yeah, yeah. That's my alma mater. But mm-hmm. I'm sure TCU first, the, few second when they yeah, play. Yeah. I'm sure you've got the KU game on in front of you right now, right? It, it's on. <laughs> it's trying to concentrate on this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, well, uh, I think that that's about it. Unless, Eric, you have anything else? Uh, just as a heads up, granted this is going to be a little bit after the fact, but uh, Syracuse went into Cameron Indoor and beat Duke in overtime. <laughs> yeah, that was that was big. That was uh, remember when everyone thought Duke wouldn't lose? Yeah. yeah. Re- remember, remember when people were saying the asinine stuff of Duke oh, could yeah. beat the Cavs and <laughs> things like that? <sighs> so dumb. Yeah, and the so dumb. Alabama could beat the Browns. And right? Yeah. Right? Every year we get that. No. Just stop with the nonsense. Every yeah. year. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. All right. Well, we'll we'll let you go then, Stephen. Thanks a lot for for coming on. We appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for being on. Hope you enjoy. Yeah. It. No problem, guys. Thanks for having. Me. Hope you enjoy your trip to Manhattan. Do you guys get to fly into Manhattan Regional? When you do that? Uh, yeah. Charter flight. Yeah. We'll, we charter mm-hmm. all the all the Big Twelve flight trips. Longest drive is up to Stillwater, but okay. like we'll fl- we'll fly to to Lubbock and yeah fly to Manhattan so yeah looking forward to get there my parents who live in Winfield they'll mm-hmm. they'll drive up and and see me then so that's always good I love going back to the state and see what happens I got uh, got a win there two years ago uh overtime win and then then last year K-State won that one so yeah it'll be interesting students back too it'll be fun yeah I know your dad's a Red Sox fan he's not a Patriots fan too is he He's no, 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 no. It's really okay. weird. Okay. Um, Dad fell in love with the Red Sox with Carl Ustremski when he was a kid, but okay. somehow became attached to the Chiefs. So right. uh, that's why I'm a Chiefs fan. I didn't, I didn't follow the Red Sox though. But uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why the Chiefs. Uh, it's interesting to see what happens on Sunday. I can't wait. It's gonna be so fun. I wish I was there. Yeah. It's gonna be cold too. Yeah, I saw that. It's gonna be crazy cold. All right. Well, sounds good. Thanks so much for coming on. Thanks, Eric. Yeah. Yeah, no problem. So yeah, I got the weather in purple.